what are your reasons for wanting a little brother? Don't say revenge. Don't say revenge. Uh, revenge? That's it. I'm getting out of here. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And is it just me, or would these episodes work better if they were like 12 minutes shorter? I know. This is another episode. This one doesn't have a long speechy speech, but another episode where you were like, well, that would be a perfect place to finish the episode, and then we just kept going. It's kind of ridiculous. Okay, so weird, but I think Once Upon a Time would have benefited from a streaming model where each episode was just as long as it needed to be. Yes. God, that is the that is probably my favorite thing about streaming specific shows that they don't need to be a certain length so they can be however long the story needs them to be, which is great. The TV show Maniac, which dropped on Netflix, each episode is whatever length it needs to be. It flows really well, although I will say it was three episodes in before I really got into it. But it flows really well, and some episodes are fully twice as long as other episodes because it's only as long as it needs to be. Or as my English comp professor used to say when telling us how long our paper should be, as long as it's good. Yeah. Yeah, which this episode could have used 12 minutes less. Yup. Let's get into it. This is episode two of season six, A Bitter Drought. Or, drought? I think drought. Drought? I, I think. This is one of those words where I've read it a lot, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's drought as in poison, not drought as in lack of rain. Mm. I'm telling them. I know you know because we watched the episode. Or this is book eight. eight? Nine? We're on book nine. nine. Wow. Book nine, The Clone Saga. So, thing about this is, I really remembered liking the first half of this season and really disliking the Hell season. The Hell season wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, and so far this isn't as good as I remember it being. Well, there are so many parts in this episode where you and I both squealed, even though this is not our first time through. And I remember how exciting it was the first time through to, for instance... See the heavy flirtation between Regina and the evil queen? It's pretty great. So we're really shooting ourselves in the foot because the episode opens with Zelina. Ugh. But Zelina's talking to the evil queen. The evil queen takes Zelina to the vault and says she needs Zelina to let her in because it's sealed with blood magic. And Zelina's like, but, but you're the evil queen. Okay, Zelina doesn't say that. She should, but she doesn't. I'm sorry, how stupid is Zelina being here? Like, this is the most obvious frame job ever. I know, right? I mean... She learned from Cora. A dog told us you broke into Regina's vault. Exactly. But Zelina's like, what do you need all this magic for? And the evil queen is all, well, I, I used up all of my magic getting back to Storybrooke. She says she needs magical ingredients so that she can cast a spell that will teach Regina that she can't escape who she truly is. And then she, you know, blah, blah, I'm the sister you really want, blah, and bams out. And Zelina's just standing there like, who's watching my baby? Back in the main part of Storybrooke, 
Regina's getting ready to go into Granny's where all of the refugees from the Land of Untold Stories are waiting so that she can, you know, be the mayor. She's concerned that she won't be able to do it without having the presence of the Evil Queen. But, I mean, you were dealing with refugees, like, last season with the King Arthur stuff, and you weren't the Evil Queen then. She didn't have the Evil Queen inside of her. Now she has gotten rid of the evilness inside of her, so she doesn't know if she can do it. Uh, So, she goes in to talk to all of the people in Party City Whaler costumes, and yeah, and there's a lot of people with top hats with gears stapled to them. Yep. Yep. There's a guy with a sash. Is he, is he a mayor? I always think of sashes as a mayor thing. Either that or he took second place in a beauty contest. Get $500, do not pass go. You get $10 for taking second place in a beauty contest. Why even enter? Because you might win first. What would first be? First is a full scholarship to any university in the country. Second is $10 as a slap in the face to remind you that second place is just the first loser. God. So Regina's like, don't worry, we're all super set up for refugees, so just try not to harpoon anyone while you're in town. She says it more inspiringly than that, and the Charmings are just looking on all smug, like, oh, we knew you could do it, Regina. Regina does say that they can handle whatever is thrown at them next. Like a harpoon? Yes, like a harpoon. Actually, she could handle a harpoon better than what happens next, which is Belle coming through the door. And Emma's all... Hey, Belle, weren't you, like, in a box in a sleeping curse? And Belle's like, I got better. I actually find this part really charming because Emma is shocked. She's like, Belle, you're awake! And Belle is kind of like, I knew you'd be surprised. I thought it would be funny to come over and surprise you all that I'm out of the curse. Of course, Hook has no time for catching up pleasantries. He wants to know what's up with the crocodile he's like where's the crocodile and bell's like we're not together currently and he's like that's not really an answer to my question i mean it is it is i mean it would explain why she wouldn't know where he was i mean he's not here that's the relevant part so bell needs a place to stay since she's not with rumple anymore and emma says in front of all the people at granny's who are staying there now that they've crashed from the land of untold stories Oh, we'll find a place for you. I wouldn't let my worst enemy sleep here. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, She's got to rush off because she has a therapy session with Dr. Hopper, who Hook condescendingly refers to as the cricket. Hook is that guy in high school who tries to be clever with the nicknames all the time, and it's just really tiring. It's like, dude, you are not as cool and edgy as you think you are. Why is everyone all up on Jiminy Cricket being a cricket? I mean, he's not anymore. And they should be all up on him for being a HIPAA-violating, terrible therapist. Who? We are going to touch on that a bit later. And as long as you brought up that Emma says she's going to go see Dr. Hopper, even though I've seen this episode before, I thought she was lying. She's not. For some reason, she's going to go see Dr. Hopper. Like, that's going to be helpful. Hey, Emma, why don't you go play in an abandoned mine? Did wonders for Henry. I'll save it for when we get to that scene. But honestly, there's so much wrong with going to Dr. Hopper. She sort of pawns Belle off on Hook. She's like, go find Belle someplace to sleep. I kind of like, they're actually going to bring up in this episode how shitty Hook has been to Belle for the whole show. And I like that he feels like he has to be good to her now to make up for it. 
And because Bella's had her memory wiped so many times, she's just down to be friends with him. I mean, we've definitely talked about this before, but if Belle held grudges for every person who screwed her over in this show, she would have no friends. If Belle held grudges for everyone who screwed her over, she'd be lacy. I feel like Belle and Hook's subplot here is just sort of setting up the big twist for David's plot. Yeah, it's definitely trying to make us think that Hook is a really good person right now. Mm. And that he's trying very hard to make up for the sins of his past. Which, as we discussed, are not that big of a deal, except when it comes to what he did to Belle. So I kind of like that Belle is the vehicle through which they tried to absolve him. Mm. Henry approaches a, I I thought of him as a young man, but I guess in universe he's not supposed to be. I know, I'm, I did too. He he is young looking, but he's supposed to be in his 30s. I thought he was like a teenager. Yeah, he, he looks like legitimately maybe a couple of years older than Henry. I think it might just be because they gave him a very floppy haircut. Mm. I think that's definitely youthening him. Henry's trying to find his story in the book, so he asks the man's name, and the man says that, oh, he wouldn't be in the book, he's too minor a character, because Henry thinks that his goal right now with all of these people from the Land of Untold Stories is to help them finish out their stories like he was doing in Hell. Isn't that ambiguously Emma's job as the savior? She's supposed to bring people happy endings, and that's what's screwing her over now? Eh. I think that it makes as much sense for Henry to decide that it's his job as the author since he has all of this power that he's not allowed to use, at least it's something he can do. I mean, Henry is the one character who's not actively portrayed as evil for being proactive, so... That's a good point. Huh. Interesting. I'm gonna have to ponder on why that is. Hmm. There's at least one thing that I think makes a difference, but I'm trying to think if there's any other reason. He calls this mission to get everyone their happy endings, by the way, Operation Cobra Part 2. Hmm. We'll touch on that a bit more in a bit but the mysterious young man who's not actually that young of a man apparently batman's out of the scene leaving behind an envelope with a conspicuous wax seal we should bring back wax seals they're so badass i got your dad that uh thing for christmas last year remember the, yeah. the spider wax seal yeah you got my dad a wax seal with a god what is that thing oh i guess that's the seal the seal you got him wax sealing wax and a wax seal that had a spider on it because my dad is a hardcore peter parker fan i came about my nerdiness honestly we cut from the envelope with the conspicuous seal to a fancy uh dinner party we see one of the guests holding the dinner party invitation so that we see it's the same seal so this is the same man this is a flashback to the young man she's holding the invitation in the same kind of awkward way people hold the dark one dagger when you're supposed to read it it's true she is I also have to say, for once upon a time, this party is fairly diverse. Yeah, that struck me too. I mean, good for them. They're they're putting the effort in. I mean, it's kind of like in Frozen, where there's a crowd scene that has people of color, and Frozen is like, don't we get credit? It's like, no, if they don't have lines, you don't get credit. Well, that's the thing. Whenever people talk about Friends not having, uh, they're like, Friends takes place in some weird alternate New York where everyone's white. And I'm like, no. It takes place in a weird alternate New York where only white people can speak. It's true. The the 24-hour party people that go to the parties that the friends throw, they do have some diverse... I was going to say friends, but I mean, they can't possibly be friends. They never talk about them outside of that. Yeah, same thing with Central Park 
one of the reoccurring waitresses who we see all the time is black, and I don't think she ever spoke in that show. She has had a couple of lines. And dear listeners, let me tell you how I know this. Hmm. I am currently working on a knitting project where I am making a blanket with one square that I knit for every episode of Friends. And I do different things when things happen in it. So there are different stitches that I do when Phoebe sings or... Joey Axe. Or Joey Axe. I switch out colors when Janice or Richard shows up. And I do a different stitch whenever a black person has a line. And let me tell you, when you actually count it out, now to be fair, I haven't gotten to the Charlie parts yet, Hmm. but when you actually count it out, it is shockingly few, even for something as famously white as Friends. So anyway, the host of the party arrives to much fanfare and... It's the youngish man. The youngish man. Dollar Store Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, he looks like someone who became famous later, except I can't place him at all. He looks like Dollar Store Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He does. He does have a Joseph Gordon-Levitt air about him. Yeah, he looks like he looks a lot like a lot of kind of famous people. That's because he has that specific Late 90s, early 2000s, pretty boy-ness about him. Yeah. If 10 Things I Hate About You had ended with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Heath Ledger having a kid, it might be this guy. Exactly. Exactly. If they did Man- if they did Count of Monte Cristo, 10 Things I Hate About You style, this kid would have played the Count of Monte Cristo. By the way, that's exactly what he's doing. So... The Count of Monte Cristo goes stabbing Tin Bear on the guy he believes is responsible for his imprisonment and his wife's indebtedening. He, that guy is responsible. Yeah. Not just, not just he believes, he is. Well, he thinks that there's some darker force that got him to do it because he's too stupid to do it on his own. He thinks there's a darker conspiracy, but the Baron is not talking, so Edward Dante and the Count of Monte Cristo just stabs him through the midsection i think it's supposed to be through his heart but really it's like his midsection i love how casually everyone leaves like my understanding is that this is how every regency french party ends it's funny because everyone's hurrying but it's the same way like when you're at work and you know that you've got a uh fire drill everyone's kind of doing the i just want to leave because that alarm is very loud walk yes no one actually seems panicked but one person stays behind. In fact, she comes in. She's she's going against the crowd. And that is the evil queen. Who has dressed for the uh, era. She is wearing French Regency evil queen style clothing. It's amazing. She tells Edmund that she knows a thing or two about revenge. And that she can help him get it on everyone who wronged him and his dead fiancé, wife wife i believe and she emphasizes her point by flipping open her fan and giving herself a little uh flutter because he's all well you don't seem like the sort of person to do this out of the goodness of your heart what are you getting out of this and she's like kind of need you to murder some people yes you will recall or maybe you won't because i didn't until they bring it back up in this episode that rumple has put a protection spell on the Charmings so that Regina cannot harm them because he wants Regina to cast the curse. I will talk about that in a bit because I have a lot to say about that. Okay. Well, and also just uh, to add on to that, it's not just that he wants Regina to cast the curse, 
but that he needs them to have a child first because that's who's going to break the spell because their child would be the product of true love and that's what he can put into the dark curse so that someone can break it so that he can get Regina to cast it and then get himself to the world without magic and then wait 26 years for Emma to... 26? 28. And then wait 28 years for Emma to break the curse so that he can get the hell out of Storybrooke and go find his son. Remember, Emma had to be 18 when she gave birth to Henry, so it's 28 years. Of course, of course. You know, this is a lot of work when he could have just stolen a pair of shoes. Just saying. Or found a rabbit. Or asked a mermaid for a favor. Or gotten another bean. That's how Neil came over in the first place, but they were all like, oh, it's the last bean ever. We've had like 20 beans since then. Yeah, there's been a lot of last beans ever. Captain Hook managed to find one, just by himself. Wow. Wow. Rumpelstiltskin, not as effective as Captain Hook. David's looking at the note that Edmund left behind, and the note says, Come to the airship so that I can stab you through the heart. Or words to that effect. Love the Count of Monte Cristo. And Henry's like, ooh, I wonder who it is. And because he can't see the note, it's okay. So Snow White tells him it's the Count of Monte Cristo. And apparently everyone knows this story. Except Granny, who's like, we don't make Monte Cristos and, and, and Mary Margaret's all. Granny, Granny, the Count of Monte Cristo's a person. And Granny's like, whatever. I gave my one obligatory line to keep being the main cast for the year I'm heading out. So David's like, wait, we fucked over a lot of people, but I don't remember specifically fucking over this one dude. And Regina's like, oh, that's my bad. I kind of hired him to murder you guys. Yep. So this is calling off a hippie episode. Yes. Uh, So in Dr. Hopper's office, Emma is in the middle of a not very successful therapy session. Yeah. You know why it's not successful? Because of her awful shirt. Okay, she looks like she's wearing a Victorian nightgown as a shirt. Yes. And also, she's telling Dr. Hopper about her vision, and he's trying to interpret it like it's a dream. And she's like, it's not a dream. It's literally a vision of the future. And he's like, what do you think the dream means? And she's like, I think it means someone's going to stab me to death. You know, this this is classic, right? Your life is not a narrative. There's no symbolism to me being stabbed. It's just what's about to happen. Dr. Hopper's like, you seem really stressed. Have you thought about just, like, taking a day off, letting your family help you? And Emma's all, no, because my family is massively incompetent, except for Henry. Have you tried not being the savior? I mean, he basically says that, and she's like, no, that's not how it works. Like, I have tried, well, she doesn't mention it, but she has tried not being the savior. She ended up having sex with a flying monkey who tried to kill her. Dr. Hopper is just not the right tool for this particular problem. Although he is a tool. So Mary Margaret, Regina, and David break into the Count of Monte Cristo's room. How does he already have his room set up and halfway unpacked at Granny's, by the way? He he walked into the diner, turned around and walked right out. When did he have time to even move stuff upstairs? So David's super pissed that uh, Regina hired someone to kill them. And she's like, I did it like 5,000 years ago. Regina says, I can't be expected to remember every time I tried to kill you. And David, I hate to say it, has a legitimate point where he's like, you should though, because it keeps coming up. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm on Regina's side here. 
she can't know every little thing that's going to backfire on all of the evil plots that she's put into motion. I kind of hate how much I'm agreeing with the Charmings here because Mary Margaret, being a contrarian, has to immediately go against the last thing said, which was her husband worrying about the Count of Monte Cristo. And she's all, you know what? Like, he's had a really long time to try to kill us and he hasn't been able to pull it off. I really don't think we should sweat this guy. And then Regina decides to throw us all into a flashback saying, well, he actually did find you before. This is a time when the evil queen is trying to kill Snow White, but Snow White is not on the run. She is living in the castle with David at this point. So there was a village. Everyone got slaughtered by the evil queen, except for one remaining person. Yes, he says that he was a vintner. And I'm sorry, I can't go any further talking about this scene without bringing up how terrible Mary Margaret's hair looks. Oh god, it's awful. It looks like she's one of the cavemen from the Geico Caveman TV show. It's like they just decided to stop taking care of her Enchanted Forest wig. They, like, threw it in a box and were like, well, we're not doing any Enchanted Flashbacks anymore. And then had to pull it out in a rush and didn't even brush it before they put it back on her head. It looks kind of like horsehair. I'm sorry, I can't see this without thinking about an Entertainment Weekly article on Once Upon a Time that ran during this show's first season. There was a photo shoot with Jennifer Goodwin, and I don't remember which other actors, but in their Enchanted Forest outfits. And she actually had the long Snow White hair, and she was wearing the wig from the show, not a wig that was styled by Entertainment Weekly. And in the interview, Jennifer Goodwin mentions that when she was flying out to do the shoot, she carried the wig on a wig head on her lap on the plane because that's how important it was to the people at Once Upon a Time that the wig not get messed up. Mm. And apparently whoever it was who cared does not work on this show anymore. Nope. All right, anyway, they find this guy. He says he's the vintner. It's Edmund. The Count. Yes. He says... His whole livelihood is destroyed because all the vines are dead and everything is terrible. Okay, so not to be the guy who's constantly bringing up the continuity of Once Upon a Time here, but... Go ahead, be that guy. So we've seen this same plot by various villains on the show multiple times. This is how Hook joined the girl gang back in season two. Oh, I'm the last survivor of this massacre. Uh... This was how Regina, well, it's not exactly how Regina got into Snow's confidences back uh, when she was being hanged by Regina's guards. Remember when she was disguised as... I mean, it kind of is, yeah. People who are working for Regina pretend to be victims of Regina to get close to Snow White. You're right, that's a reoccurring theme. Although... This might be the first time it's canonically happened. Oh, oh, in time, yeah, yeah. And also, I, I can't really blame Snow here because... There are also a lot of people who are victims of Regina, so it's not like she can just stop helping all those people. After all, it's her fault that they're all screwed. Hmm. So, she calls forth her handmaiden, Charlotte, a very important person to Snow. A person who we have seen many, many times, or at least you have to assume we would have, right? With all of the Snow White backstory we've gotten in the last six years? Uh, this is Charlotte. Snow's handmaiden and personal attendant, and she was probably BFFs with Johanna. Who? Yeah. She's got some healing salve. She's gonna help heal this guy. 
Also, I should point out that she is a young blonde ingenue. So, you know, <laughs> know that going in. He sees her and he's like, oh my god. Oh my god, I have a boner for this lady's handmaiden. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to kill her and her husband now. Fiance, boyfriend. Husband at this point. Yes, husband at this point. Is this before their big fancy wedding, but after their secret wedding, they head over Charming's mom's corpse? I think it's after the big fancy wedding. This is after the time when she freed Regina, remember? After Charlotte heals Edmund, because as a handmaid, she of course has healing abilities, I guess? She has a healing self. Yeah, she has a healing self. Anyway, after she heals Edmund... David offers to bring him back to the palace to be their wine steward, since, you know, his whole home has been destroyed. On the one hand, I was annoyed because it was like, hey, everything's shitty for you. Want to come be our servant? And I was like, really, David? Really? But he was a vintner. Yeah. Now he's going to be a wine steward. Seems like a lateral move to me. You know what? No, no, it's not a lateral move. He owned his own business, and now he has to work for the Charmings? Ugh, poor guy. I mean, poor imaginary person that this guy's pretending to be. In the present times, Regina confronts the Count of Monte Cristo and she just finds him wandering around the woods. And she's like, hey, dude, I'm calling off the hit. Just, you know, don't kill these people. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to kill these people. And then he throws his sword at her and she, you know. Uses magic to stop it from slicing her open because she might not have the evil queen inside her anymore, but she's still a goddamn witch queen. So the uh, sword falls uselessly to the floor. She picks it up. But he's batman away. Then we cut to the sheriff's car, where David, Emma, and Mary Margaret are trying to get out of Storybrooke. And Mary Margaret classistly says, we, We're not going to run from our wine steward. Yeah. But it's okay, she's immediately punished, because they hit a wall at the town line. An invisible wall. Oh my god, it's like an N64 game. It is exactly like an N64 game. Sorry, we didn't render that part of the game. Over on the Jolly Roger, Hook is offering Belle a place to stay on his boat, and she doesn't want to stay there, which at first I thought was because she didn't want to stay on a boat, and I was getting ready to call her classist, but actually, it's generously because she's afraid that if she stays there, Rumple will come after Hook. Yeah. That's really considerate, considering all the shit Hook has put her through. I don't get why she needs a place to stay. She had an apartment before she was living with Rumpel. It was in the library. Yeah, she could stay in the- Yes, she can stay in her place. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she doesn't want to stay in any place that Rumpel knows about because she's at least a little bit afraid of him and should be. Yeah, well, then don't stay at Hook's place. That's like the third place he'd look. I mean, is it? Hook's done a lot of shit to her. Hmm. I think Rumpel knows more than anyone else how willing Belle is to let stuff go. Fair enough. Speaking of, Belle asks Hook why he's being so nice to her, and he's like, I feel guilty because of that one time I beat you until you were unconscious when you were in prison. And then I shot you over the town line? Yeah, I, I brought that up when he was talking about punching her out in prison, because I was like, that's really the lesser of the things you've done to her. What about the time you, and then he said, yeah. Shot her over the town line. So Hook talks about how he's trying to be a better person, and part of being a better person is making it up to the people you've screwed over in the past, which is a legitimate point this show doesn't touch on very often. But... I know, right? As much as I'm annoyed with Hook, at least he's trying to fix his shit. 
And Bill's like, you are a good person, clearly forgetting the fact that, like, what, three weeks ago, clearly forgetting the fact that, what, three weeks ago in universe, he tried to send her and all of Emma's extended family to hell. This show, I swear to God. Anyway, the timeline, the storybook crew is trying to figure out what the deal is with the barrier. They conjecture that it's the same spell that was keeping people in town during season one. They specifically say it's the spell that Regina cast to keep them in town. And she didn't cast a spell to keep them in the town. It was literally part of the dark curse. Right? It wasn't its own add-on. But apparently it was now. Because Regina says, yes, it's exactly that spell. Which it also isn't, because that spell didn't take the form of an invisible force field. It used coincidences to stop people from leaving the town. Right. It made Granny have a heart attack. It made Emma crash her car into the sign. It made lots of people crash their cars into a sign. It just caused things to go wrong that would make you not leave. Whatever. This show cares so much less about its own continuity than we do. But then it makes it up to us by having Zelina bamf in and be like, how come you guys don't use teleport? Because it's way more dangerous to be driving around in a car than just teleporting where you need to go. Yeah, she points at the right car and she's like, "This I don't get why you don't, just don't teleport everywhere. You don't crash into shit when you teleport. She's right. Yeah. I mean, you might splinch yourself, but that's, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Regina turns to her and says, Zelina... The ingredients for the not leaving the town spell were in my vault, and I'm the only person who can get into my vault other than you. And Zelina says, that's not true. And Regina asks her, who else could possibly get into the vault? She's like, I, I don't know. Obviously someone. I can't believe you're talking about me like this. <laughs> Bamf. Zelina's difficult because she is legitimately just a teenager. Like, she's angry that Regina is blaming her, but from Regina's point of view, there's literally no one else who could have done this. I guess Henry could have done it. She's Dawn. I like Dawn. I know, I know, Dawn from Buffy had a lot of the same problems, but I like Dawn a lot more. You know why? Well, Number she's... one, canonically, Dawn is a teenager. Canonically, Dawn's like a toddler. <laughs> True, true. But um, yeah, no, she Dawn, she's behaving exactly like Dawn, which I'm not as bothered by Dawn as a lot of people are, but Dawn was canonically like 15, and she was played by a young actress. So it's less cringy than when you have an adult woman behaving like a 14-year-old. Also, unlike Zelina, Dawn had character development over the course of the series. Uh, true. Okay, now can we talk about the fact that Henry could have gotten into the vault and done this? Yes. Henry. I mean, obviously he didn't, he wouldn't, but just want to say, those aren't the only two people who, with blood connected to Regina's blood. Also, other people could probably cast that spell, Regina. Yeah, your vault is probably not the only place in the entire world where those ingredients can be acquired. And I mean, it's a force field. Like, anyone can do a force Literally field. Literally every character in the show has cast a force field at some point. We cut to a useless but fun scene where Regina murders one of her stupid helmet cards with the sword, the evil queen in the past. Yes, she is fencing for some reason. And apparently this particular fight was to the death for, as you said, 
no reason other than to show that she's evil. It's amazing. She said, this is, by the way, my favorite Regina outfit in the uh, episode. Really? It's just a simple black dress with some really, really great edging around the... I think her hair really pulls it off. She's got this kind of... It's an updo with this kind of curly front thing. Corkscrew front thing. I mean, she looks good, but it's kind of prom hair. She has like the one curl coming out of the hairdo. I love how she stabs the guy to death and then she just kind of drops the sword and lets his body fall on the ground. And then she smells her fingers. What is she doing? I I, I think she's got blood on her hands and she's inspecting it. It's so weird. God, I love the evil queen. She is having so much fun and you can feel it and it makes you have fun. Yes. Edmund shows up to report on the fact that he got in with the Charmings, but he's having second thoughts about poisoning them because Snow's handmaiden is hella hot. And Regina reminds him that she has the list of people that he needs to get revenge on. So he better do what she wants him to do. So he takes the poison and she gives him a little ta-ta wave where she just wiggles her fingers at him. By the way, Agrabah Viper poison, because I guess it's her signature poison. I guess. I guess that's her signature poison now. Or maybe she specifically thought it would be a nice symmetry to have Snow White killed with the same poison that she used to have Snow White's father killed. Rumpel bamps him to the room. He's like, okay, seriously, what is this shit? What is this shit? I put the spell on Snow White so you can kill her. So you cast the dark curse. I gave you the dark curse. Why are you fucking around with this stabby dude who you're not even going to have stab her? That's a really good point. I found the best fencer in the world and I'm going to have him poison her. Wow, I didn't even think about that. That's hilarious. Well, Rumpel says he's just going to go kill Edmund and Regina says he can't. Because she put the same spell on Edmund that Rumpel put on Snow White. So, ha. Eh, wrong. Continuity police. <laughs> if you remember the episode in which Rumpel cast the protection spell on Snow White and David, mm-hmm. the spell was very specifically triggered to a certain event, which was Regina attempting to kill Snow with an enchanted dagger. That was what created the protection on Snow. What? You're saying you can't just go around giving people protection so that they abstractly can't be killed by a specific person? Because if you could do that, people would be doing it all the time to fix their problems? Seriously, if Regina can just cast a spell to stop Rumpelstiltskin from being able to harm certain people, you think that would have come up at literally any point in the show where they've been trying to fight Rumpelstiltskin? Because they try to fight him so many times. God, this show. I mean, remember in the season when Zelina was the big bad, when the main thing she had going for her was control of the Dark One? I do remember that. Why didn't Regina just cast the Rumpel can't hurt a person spell on Emma? Or on everyone. Why wouldn't you cast that spell all the goddamn time? So Rumpel's like, fine, whatever. You want to play with other people, I can play with other people too. And he vamps out. Yep. And then we cut to current times where Rumpel is in his shop, all sad because Belle doesn't love him anymore. The floors are really clean in this shop considering no one's been taking care of it for a while. You don't think Henry's still coming in and sweeping? God, maybe. I was never technically fired, so... Exactly! 
so Rumple is talking to someone we can't see who shock of all shocks. It's the evil queen. Rumple says he heard what Regina did, but he knew it was too good to be true. And she's like, so look, I'm super evil and super hot. And you're basically going to let me do whatever I want because you know what? I know you want to bone me like you boned my mom. Gross. Gross. I mean, she doesn't say that, but of course we know that. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that. Yes, they do like a really, really baity scene, you know? Oh, yeah. No, this is super suggestive. And Rumpel's like, look, I'll let you do whatever you want as long as you leave Belle and my unborn son out of this and regina's like i don't give a shit about your family dude she's like okay i wasn't gonna do anything to them anyway that's fine with me and then she's like grabbing him and yeah she's like all slithery and feeling up his tie and she says that maybe their unfinished story can play out and rumple's like hard pass hard pass and she's like "Mm, we'll see she tells him that he's going to get tired of waiting for Belle to decide that she accepts him for who he is. So clearly she has not been listening to our podcast because that is nine-tenths of the appeal for Belle. Look, I do not ship these two at all, but seeing these hammy actors being hammy with each other is delicious and I love it. I mean, honest to God, I kind of ship the evil queen with everyone. Well... Sure, I mean, sure. She has the ability to have chemistry with basically anyone on screen. Oh, we are going to talk about that in like two scenes. So I do love that she doesn't bamf away. She like... She slithers away. She's like, she's like, you might hate to see me go, but you're going to love watching my ass. She's wearing a lot of bustle here for that. That's what, that's what bustle is for, Max. It's to enhance the illusion of ass. Literally more cushion for the pushing. Exactly. So. Back in the past, we see Edmund poisoning the wine that he is going to serve to the Charmings. Because. It's, is it mulled wine? Is that what you call it when it's like hot wine? That is mulled wine. And that makes sense because mulled wine has spices in it. So that would be, that would disguise the taste of the poison. So. The Count is serving the mulled wine to everyone, but then Johanna sits down to drink. You mean Charlotte? Jessie. Yeah. Charlotte sits down, and David and Mary Margaret tell him that it's her last night there because her internship is ending, so they're having a celebratory dinner. And he regretfully pours her a glass of wine, too, and then realizes, no, that's too shitty, he can't do that. It's her last day before retirement. God. He says, wait, no, this wine isn't good enough for a celebration. Let me bring up a better bottle. So, And then he grabs all of their glasses so no one takes a sip while they're waiting for him. Well, he actually just grabs Charlotte's glass. Oh, yeah, good point. That's kind of hilarious now that you mention it. There is another manservant there who grabs David and Mary Margaret's glasses. But I hope none of the servants decide to drink that wine. Oh, yeah, he definitely accidentally killed a couple of people. Damn. Back in the... Present? Present. Henry and Regina come across Charlotte's dead deceased corpse lying corpsefully in the woods. At the rigid airship where they're supposed to meet Edmund. And the evil queen casually leans into the scene and she's all, Oh gosh, 
I guess her story finally did end, huh? Wah wah. Yep, and then she says, hi, sweetie, to Henry, because she might be the evil queen, but she's still Henry's mom. It's great. I actually kind of love the dynamic the two of them get later in this season. I do, too. I really do. Because he's already done this before with, you know, original flavor Regina. He's like, I've played this level already, which is great because that means he'll be able to... Yes. So Regina's like, it was you, you broke into my vault and, and you're forcing the Count of Monte Cristo to do this. And quick, quick technical question. Did she break into Regina's vault? Doesn't she have just as much right to it as Regina? Hell, I mean, Regina was the evil queen when she collected all that stuff. So arguably she has more right to it. Yeah. Hmm. Regina tries to fireball the evil queen, by the way, and cannot do it. She cannot raise a fireball against herself. Well, this this is because, and I love this, Regina coated Charlotte's corpse with anti-magic juice. So now she's got like anti-magic juice on her. The evil queen bamps a heart into her hand and she's like, see, I got the Count of Monte Cristo's heart and I'm going to have him kill David and Mary Margaret because, sweetie, I am your, I am your inner goddess and I am here to bring you joy. Did you just make a Fifty Shades of Grey reference? I did just make a Fifty Shades of Grey reference. Okay, that wildly changes Fifty Shades of Grey. If I, if I imagine that whenever Anastasia talks about her inner goddess, she's talking about the evil queen. Anastasia Beaverhausen. It's not, it's Anastasia Steele, which I think is arguably worse. I know her name. Anastasia Beaverhausen was uh, Karen's go-to alter ego in... Oh, yeah, in Will and Grace. Yeah. So on the docks, the Count of Monte Cristo is trying to stab David and Mary Margaret. And David does something which he's done twice this season. What's that? Which is use a garbage can lid as a shield. You know what? Garbage can lids are not made out of metal that's that strong. Edmund would definitely be able to break through that. Yeah, it's... I feel like they're sort of going for a more Captain America vibe to David's fighting style now. Interesting. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that was conscious. The Marvel movies were in full steam at this point. Yeah, they were. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. The way I was thinking of it, though, because Snow White grabs a pipe off the dock and uses that, is the contrast between Edmund having his sword and David and Mary Margaret fighting with improvised weapons. Speaking of improvised weapons, they sort of knock the Count of Monte Cristo back. And uh, they duel smug him. Mary Margaret's like, we're going to win. And David's like, because we always win. And the Count kind of rolls his eyes and then cuts a rope and a whole bunch of barrels fall on them. Yes. Although I didn't count that as an improvised weapon because that has a long swashbuckling pirate history. It's just so great. It's just a bunch of barrels fall on them. (laughs) Like there's some sort of plumber trying to save their girlfriends. I know he wasn't a plumber till the next game. Don't at me. So we cut back to the Count of Monte Cristo angsting over whether or not to poison David and Mary Margaret and Charlotte in the wine cellar. Yes. And Rumpelstiltskin shows up. Rumpelstiltskin, who is the dark one now. And he taunts Edmund for a while. Edmund admits that he didn't want to kill Charlotte because she reminds him of his wife, what with him wanting to bone both of them. Fiance. 
Oh, does he say fiance? Oh, Rumpel You're right, says he fiance. does say fiance. Yes, okay. She reminds him of his fiance. Because he's like 16, so obviously he can't be married to this woman. Yes. And Rumble's like, yeah, I, I guess she does have sort of similar error, although she's a lot less corpsey than your wife is. Maybe fiance. we Maybe we can fix that. So Rumpel takes the poison and bamps it into Charlotte. Yeah, he says that he doesn't want Edmund to kill David and Mary Margaret, and now he knows that he won't. And Edmund's like, I already told you I wasn't going to kill them. Jesus Christ. Well, he he specifically needs David and Mary Margaret alive and procreating. Gross. Exact words. And as his insurance policy, he has poisoned Charlotte. And she's going to die unless he takes her to a place where time doesn't move. This season. The land of untold stories. So once she goes there, she's going to be indefinitely on pause, like David was in Neverland. Okay, two quick things here. Number one, I love that Edmund is like, give me the antidote. And Rumpel's like, there's not an antidote. And I kind of love that, the busting of that trope. There's not an antidote to every poison, people. Sometimes poisons are just poisons. And also, his plan is to bring her to the land of untold stories where her story stops progressing, but she's unconscious. He's basically just keeping her in a coma forever. Yeah, I... Unless he was trying to find a cure, I am legend style. Remember when the show used to do mashups? What if he's the Count of Monte Cristo, but he is also I am legend? So the Count of Monte Cristo's, who also has a little bit of a young Brendan Fraser thing going on. So really, we're just acknowledging late 90s, early 2000s heartthrobs. Yeah. It's basically like, you know those pictures where they take the most attractive people from every country and like put their faces all together? Um... In Photoshop so that you can see what the most attractive person looks like. Yeah. It's like that, except with Teen Beat. Yes. So Regina shows up to stop the Count from murdering David and Mary Margaret, who have been successfully barreled. And the Count is like, okay, you know the evil queen is controlling my heart. I do not want to do this, but there's literally no way for me to not do this. And Regina's sword fighting him because her, she's still got the anti-magic juice on her hands i guess which is nice it's nice for the show to explain why they can't just have her use the spell that knocks him out yeah so she tells she tells henry to call emma and henry's like i can't the evil queen put an anti-cell phone spell on my cell phone and he holds it up so we can see the anti-cell phone spell on his cell phone okay that's amazing that is amazing the show won me back so Regina knows that the only way to successfully stop someone is to throw a sword at them. And she does. She throws the sword at Edmund and slices him right through the heart, which I feel like shouldn't have killed him since his heart's not in his chest, but whatever. Now he's dead. Well, I also feel like a sword thrown granny style shouldn't have enough force behind it to skewer someone. Especially since we're saying sword. This is a rapier. This isn't like a broadsword. Yeah. So apparently the Count of Monte Cristo's real weakness is that he was made out of marzipan. And then the evil queen shows up and is like, haha, 
Remember that time when Emma let Cruella DeVille fall off the cliff? This is that again. I didn't care about you two dying at all. I just wanted Regina to do something evil so I could show her that she's still evil. I'm trying to reignite the spark of darkness in her. And Regina runs up and grabs her by the shoulders and starts shaking her. And she's like, that's not how darkness works. You don't ignite darkness. Also, I mean, I know it's how it works in this show. So, okay. But she killed him to stop him from killing people. She killed him in defense of others. It's not evil. David literally killed a knight of the round table and no one gave him any grief for it. God. But the evil queen takes Regina. She cups her face in her hand and she's like, oh, Regina, the darkness is always going to be inside you. Yeah. Yeah. Lana Perea has chemistry. With Lana Perea. She's like, I'm gonna make you like me, and then we're gonna fuck on David and Mary Margaret's corpses. Evil Queen out, motherfuckers. And this is where the episode should have ended, right? Yeah, this is the spot where... This is this is where it should have cut to black. But no, we have seven more minutes. Like, it should have just ended with her being like, the darkness is always in you, blah blah blah. We're gonna have sex. But instead, she has a secondary speech after she finishes her main speech where she's like, look, I don't need to destroy you because you all have secrets and those secrets are going to destroy you. The people from the land of untold stories aren't the only ones with untold stories. Ha 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 ha. Bamf. Emma already knows that they threw a baby in a death pit. What could possibly be worse than that? Seriously. So back at Granny's, Regina's feeling super guilty for murdering that dude. So she called her girlfriend in to talk it over with her. Her girlfriend and her girlfriend's mom. Oof. Who's also her stepdaughter. Oof. Family dynamics on the show are so awkward. And she's like, I feel kind of bad about murdering that dude. And I was like, eh, whatever. David kills people all the time. Regina says heroes find another way. Heroes find ways to not have to kill people. Which I feel like is a particularly mean thing to be saying to Emma when that was her whole deal is that she didn't find a way other than killing Cruella. Yeah. Yeah, David David killed, I know, David. David's killed a lot of people. David's just a murdering machine. Mary Margaret jumps at the chance to be awful. She's like, okay, I know you weren't on my team for the original run of this, but I already spent like a decade kicking your ass and I never did it by running away. We are, we're going to be fine. It's going to be easy. Yep. She's like, don't worry. I will kick your ass all over again. And then Emma has a sudden bout of pre-TSD. Specifically when Regina touches her hand. Hmm. Yes. And at the other end of Granny's diner, Henry is realizing that there is a huge problem with Operation Cobra Part 2. And first he goes on a little Scream 2 divergence. Thank you. I was just about to say, he literally does the speech from Scream 2 where he's like, this is a sequel and sequels are different. It's only a sequel because you made it a sequel, Henry. You didn't have to call it Operation Cobra Part 2. In fact, it kind of doesn't make sense that you were calling it Operation Cobra Part 2. If anything, this is Operation Mongoose Part 2 because Operation Mongoose was about getting Regina a happy ending and this is about bringing everyone to their happy ending i guess operation cobra was about stopping the evil queen and now it's a new evil queen oh oh okay Mm. also this could be operation firebird part two because operation firebird was about helping people in hell move on and this is about helping people from the land of untold stories finish their stories yeah okay honestly this could be a sequel to any one of henry's plans maybe this show is just repetitive hmm 
But Henry realizes that the problem with this is that these people have untold stories because they didn't want to finish their stories. So finishing them up is going to result in things like Edmund Dantes being dead on the dock. That was not planned alliteration, but I'm going to go with it. Mm. Or uh, Charlotte having a bad case of one episode best friend death. Yes, I thought you were going to call it Evil Willowed because she has the black lines going up her face the way Willow did. Uh, nah. But none of the power. You know, she's like someone who goes to one of Buffy's parties who isn't one of Buffy's main friends. Yeah, some real red shirt action here. So David finds a letter with his name on it on a stool at the uh, at Granny's and he opens it up. Well, he takes it outside to open it up. He excuses himself. And takes it outside to open it up. And inside is a coin. It is a coin that Rumpel and the Evil Queen were waving between each other during their sexy, sexy scene in Gold's Pawn Shop. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it. We uh, did not. Regina went into Gold's Pawn Shop to pick up this coin. And as you said, he goes outside and the Evil Queen is waiting for him to taunt him about it. And David's like, look, I recognize it. It's the coin I gave my dad before he died of alcoholism slash crashing his cart into a ravine. Okay, he actually says, my father was a drunk who died in a cart accident. It's very specifically enunciated. I am 100% sure that Josh Dallas fucked up this line about 50 times before they finally got a take that was halfway usable. Yeah, this really feels like a situation where this was the best take they had. Yeah. Yeah. Regina sort of channels us and she's like, look, it's not about your daddy issues. Everyone has daddy issues. I just want to ask, how much do you really know about how your father died? Ooh. Okay, whatever. Yeah, and then she bamps away. Uh, spoiler alert, Hook killed him. Mm-hmm. Like, don't even bleep that. How, okay, how is that not the end of the episode? Seriously, there's still more episode. Three more minutes. So somehow still not the last scene of the episode because we go back to Zelina. Who goes into the farmhouse and finds the baby crying. Like you said, who was watching the baby? Turns out the evil queen, except not because we know she was just taunting David, but she's in there holding the baby. And she's got a little rattle for the baby, not Maleficent's rattle. Yeah. Where is Maleficent? Why did they just drop the Lily subplot entirely? Right? I'm so much more interested in what Lily and Maleficent are doing than this, but whatever. It was weird that they set up an entire subplot and then just didn't follow through on it at all. I have no, I have no earthly idea why they decided that plot wasn't interesting enough to follow through with. So, Selena's like, you set me up. You made them think that I was the one who took the cookies from the cookie jar. And Regina, the evil queen, tells her, I just wanted to know if you were going to rat me out or not. And since you're not, then now I know I can trust you. And I'm finally going to give you the sister you deserve. And Selena's like, wait, you don't mean Regina, you mean you. And the evil queen's like, no fucking die mean me. And then she says that Zelina should prefer her anyway, because Regina is literally the lesser of two evils. God, I love the evil queen. And seriously, God bless Lana Perea for being able to pull off these kind of lines. She's the one who keeps us coming back. She could have said card accident without needing 50 reshoots. And somehow there's still another minute and a half in this episode. God, why won't it end? So 
Emma goes to Archie's. That'll help. And she's like, I'm sorry, I should probably tell my family about the visions, but I'm not sure I can. And Archie says, because of the evil queen. And then he says, yeah, I know all about it. Bashful was in here for a session just chatting away about it. Like, what? Apparently, apparently when you get a degree from a curse, you don't learn about HIPAA. He says Bashful likes to talk about current events before getting into things. Okay, look, even revealing that Bashful is his patient is a violation of HIPAA. Seriously. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Emma reveals that when she's fighting the hooded figure in her vision in front of her family, Regina's not with her family. So she's worried that Regina might be the person in the hood. And Archie asks her, are you worried it's the evil queen or are you worried it's Regina? And she's like, it's uh, Regina, obviously. But here's the thing. That cloak isn't fashionable enough for it to be Regina. Okay, number one, yes. Also, she thinks it might be Regina because Regina's not there anywhere else in the vision. Okay, Regina could already be dead. Regina could be fighting somewhere in another part of town as some sort of dual-pronged attack that you plan. And why does the person you're fighting have to be someone you know? It's probably some new evil that you haven't met yet. Spoiler, it is! Seriously. Also, Regina would not be caught dead in that cloak ensemble. That is really the key. But look at what Emma's wearing. She doesn't know what's fashionable or not. Yeah, I don't get what's up with her shirt, which leads us into Fashion Corner. Oh my god, the Evil Queen is killing it. All of her costumes are gold, especially the ones that are actually gold. The gold outfit that she wears to the Count of Monte Cristo's party is fabulous, of course, as is the little circlet that she's wearing during it. But you know what? I think you're right. I think the black velvet with silver sparkly trim that she is has the Evil Queen is even better. Emma's wearing a fancy potato sack, though. I don't- did she- I don't get the outfit. It- it's like a peasant blouse, sort of, except bad? I think they're trying to show that Emma is deteriorating, so they have her in kind of a I'm-not-trying outfit, you know? Just a loose-fitting muslin shirt that she can almost kind of disappear into because she's unraveling. So that's fine. That's a character choice. It's not like when they dress Mary Margaret in terrible outfits and it's for no reason, or possibly because Jennifer Goodwin pissed someone off. Like, it's okay. Emma is unraveling. Yeah, it it honestly looks like she doesn't have arms a lot of the time in that shirt. I mean, it. like I said, she's literally trying to disappear into herself. Hmm. Also, it might be a, a conscious thing, like... It is a shirt that hides her hands. Interesting. Yeah, because it's got big bell sleeves. Hmm. hmm. All right, I'm going to think on that. So I guess that's uh, our only segment for the season thus far. That is correct. So so that's it for this week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you would like to become one of our supporters, head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can also rate and review us online. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at ilovetvzines on Twitter or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Way, way back